The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm economics reporter Jeffrey Bartash in Washington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch edition. I'm joined today by Market Watch economics editor Greg Robb and special guests Adam Posen in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Mr. Posen is a noted economist and president of the influential Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. In a wide-ranging career, he's worked with the Federal Reserve and served, also served in the Bank of England, <clears throat> giving him special insight into modern central banking. We're here to discuss the Fed's blunt speech today, in which Mr. Powell says he's going to do whatever it takes, essentially, to reduce inflation and get it back down to where it was pre-pandemic. Good morning, Adam, and why don't we just dive in? Great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. To borrow a phrase from the famed 1980s economist slash TV star, Mr. T, Mr. Powell's prediction to the public is pain. Just how much pain are we talking about? Recession, unemployment rising above 4% or even 5% from the current rate of 3.6%. What's your take? I think it's still a little better than 50-50 that we won't have a real recession. Uh, what Chair Powell talked about, which is a little bit wishful but still realistic, is what he called uh, below-trend growth, meaning positive but not as fast as it's been. Um, and then the idea of a slowing labor market. I think the wishfulness from Governor Waller made a paper recently that the idea you could bring down vacancies without rising unemployment seems a bit strange. But when you put it into numbers, I think we'll, if we're lucky, we'll get away with unemployment staying, maxing out at around five. Greg? Well, Adam, how, how far do you think the Fed's, you know, you think the Fed's on a course for raising rates now? What do you think, you know, in the next six months they're going to do? Well, I think, I think Greg, Chair Powell was just reinforcing the course that they've been pretty clear on. That they're going to keep hiking pretty much every meeting by large chunks until January or February. And that's going to get them to, I think, around 4%. And then the question is, by the time they get there, do they pause? Uh, do they stop? Or do they say, oh, my God, still inflation, we got to keep going? Um, I think, obviously, we'll know more from the data. But I think we're going to have another 75, a couple 50s, and then we're at the 4% mark. And then they look around. And then they look around. Well, as we know, inflation is running at a yearly rate of 8.5% based on the CPI and 6.3% using the Fed's preferred price gauge. How high do you think they're going to have to go to get inflation back to that 2% level or so that prevailed before the pandemic? Can they really top out at 4%? It's a good question. Uh, the... Topping out at 4% would mean that you're into what they call restrictive territory, that you're above the neutral interest rate, the interest rate that you would have if things were normal and okay. But you're still probably at negative real interest rates, meaning like you said, the actual inflation rate 
outstrips the the rate of interest on the Fed. People like my colleague at Peterson, Olivier Blanchard, or Jason Furman, or Larry Summers, they believe that you're probably going to have to get to real positive real interest rates, which would mean getting up towards six percent. I still hope that they'll be able to get it down by stopping at around four, four point two five. Six percent is a whole nother kettle of fish for the economy, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it, it's it's both cause and effect, right? So if we're going to six percent, we're going to positive real interest rates, then that probably means more corrections in a lot of asset markets, widening of spreads on high yield bonds and various things. And in real terms, the stuff Jeff was asking about, higher unemployment, getting up towards 6% unemployment, growth actually contract, the economy actually contracting. But, you know, again, we still got to keep some perspective. The, the reason you would go to 6% would be because the inflation isn't slowing down. The inflation has something of a wage price reinforcing momentum. And if that's the case, as Chair Powell said today, and today I think it was great, he was tight on message, very little chitter chat, very little raising ambiguities. Uh, that's what you got to do. And you both mentioned a 6% short-term interest rate. One of our viewers, Ted, asks what interest rate would be too high for the economy? Is it 5%? Is it 6%? Is it more? I think too high is in this context defined by what's the lowest interest rate you can get away with that will keep have inflation on the downwards trend. And we're only going to find that out by experience. Too high would be real interest rates that stay high and well after the uh, interest rate, inflation rate, excuse me, starts coming down. So too high for growth, we're already going to get there. But too high for what the economy needs, not necessarily. But you have sort of a, I don't know if it's a dovish take, but you think that the Fed's going to get inflation under control by the end of next year. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, I don't know what you call it, dovish or optimistic or, or in my belief, accurate. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, but I, I think, you know, we have to remember this, even though this is something we have in the U.S. haven't gone through, for a few decades, the fact is countries do have inflation and central banks do raise interest rates when inflation gets too high and it comes back down. And the U.S. is a very large economy with very close to world events. So the energy prices that are shocking Europe are not doing the same thing to us, for example. Uh, they're there, but they're not the same. And ultimately, even though it's great we've seen unemployment go so low, it's not like everybody who suddenly went to work for Walmart or McDonald's at a higher minimum wage is now in a union. They're not. So I don't see labor having the power to keep asking for more once we get through this period. The Fed, is, as we all know, has usually had to combat prior episodes of rising inflation by raising its short-term interest rate above the inflation rate. It seems the Fed in this case thinks that while it's raising rates, inflation's gonna be coming down. So for a large chunk of the next year or so, the Fed predicts its short-term interest rate will actually be below the inflation rate. Is that believable in your view, Adam? It seems to be, do you think that'll be the case? I think my central forecast is something like that'll be the case. I think the um, interest rate's going to have to stay up for a while. And again, Chair Powell finally sort of said that today, talking about 
that you're going to have to stay restricted for a while. Um, you're right, obviously, Jeff, that the generally to cause a slowdown in inflation, you end up being a res not just a restrictive policy, but again, what you said, a positive real rates policy, interest rates above inflation. The thing is, we, I think the whole transitory versus not debate made, made it seem with all or nothing. Whereas the fact is probably at the 8% inflation we're now at, or the 6% on core P six something on core PCE, half of it's due to energy and supply shocks and rents and all of which should be coming down and half of it's due to momentum and overheating the economy. So in that situation, if inflation starts coming down for these sort of real reasons, you hope that the Fed can kind of piggyback on that and not have to do as much. Adam, one of the things I, I like about you is you kind of cut through some of the, the fog, but you've said something that's very interesting that even if, if we have a recession, that doesn't mean, okay, that inflation's over then. Right. Right. So explain that a little bit to our viewers. Cause I think that there's a common belief like, okay, recession, then inflation's over. Thank you for pushing me, Greg, to be more clear, or at least encouraging me to be more <laughs> clear. Um, look, we're, we're going to see around the world right now, we're about to see in, in Germany and in Brit Great Britain, places where with big advanced economies, they have simultaneously recession and inflation. Um, and this is, of course, for those of us who are old enough to remember, this is what the U.S. went through in the, 80, in the 70s and early 80s. Um, so it is possible. It's not like physics. You can't, you, you can't say it's excluded. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of this comes down to, for want of a better term, inflationary momentum how much the past inflation which we've had encourages workers to be able to ask for more wages and businesses to be able to ask for higher prices. And if that momentum is um, ongoing, then that's the Blanchard Summers more pessimistic view of the world. And then you really need an inflation, excuse me, a recession to stop it. If it turns out that that momentum isn't very strong, then you don't need a full-on recession to stop it. So in a sense, the analogy to a car and brakes is basically right. If, if you're going really fast, you may only need to, you, you may need to slam on the brakes. Or if you don't want to crash the economy, you want to keep pumping the brakes for a while. If you're going okay and your road traction's okay, you may only need to tap Another view of ours, John, wants to know, Adam, what key metric would be a signal for the Fed to stop raising interest rates? Uh, he says, I know it's a combination of data, but surely, John asks, there must be one key metric they will watch. I think there's, I think there's two key metrics you can prioritize. Um, the first one is the what we call unit labor costs, which is the balance between how much wages are rising net of how much productivity is gaining. And recent data has been very bad on that front because the productivity growth has been negative um, in, as we measure it right now in the U.S. And so that means companies are getting squeezed, leaving the oil majors out of it. Um, so that's the thing. If, if, if you've got wages going up but not faster in productivity growth, the Fed can say, okay. That, so that's one measure. 
The other measure is, and Powell made reference to this this morning, is what's going on with long-term interest rates, which are considered uh, on the U.S. Treasury, which are considered an indicator of inflation expectations. And right now, they're they're behaving pretty much as the Fed would want. They're a little higher on the long end of the bond curve than than the Fed probably ideally wants, but they're consistent with the idea that people aren't worried about inflation sticking around in a few years. So to me, those are the two keys, unit labor costs, and then how anchored is the long end of the treasury bond curve. Not the unemployment rate? No, I don't think so. I mean, everybody focuses on the unemployment rate because just the word connotes something and the Congress likes it and the mandate of the Fed is defined in that. So I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to focus on the unemployment rate, but it, it it's not really what what counts because as Chair Powell said, I guess four years ago at the at his first Jackson Hole speech in, in, in 2018, there's this abstract concept, U star, which is supposed to be the maximum, the lowest possible sustainable unemployment. And we don't know what it is. You can't observe it. And it depends a lot. And it kept it, it covers over things like what's labor force participation? What's the gap between men and women, between people of color and, and white people, people of college education, people of less than high school? Again, the Fed doesn't worry about those things primarily, but just to say the unemployment rate is not a great indicator of the state of the economy. There seems to have been a tug of war lately between Wall Street and the Fed. Financial markets rallied earlier this month in the hope that the Fed would actually start cutting interest rates by next year. Yet Fed officials across the board have insisted they won't do it. Uh, as Powell said today, history shows it would be a big mistake. Are investors being pie in the sky? Absolutely. I think, I think Jeff, the, the last several months, not so much the, the bidding up in in equity markets or that, I can't judge that. What, what they have been is completely wrong about the Fed. As you said, the you look at essentially every member of the Federal Open Market Committee who's been out in public, including people who are traditionally seen as dovish, like Fed San Francisco President Daly or Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari. Sorry. Um, the, you know, they've been out there saying you have to raise rates. And so why the 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 markets kept up this chatter. I don't know. And that's why I thought one of the good things Powell did today was he made clear that they're not going to stop, but he also didn't spend a lot of time trying to directly talk down markets or talk down financial conditions. He just said, this is what we're going to do. And presumably markets will at some point get the message. It used to be said, don't fight the Fed. I think another point to go with that, Jeff, is I know you've at Barron's covered this and Greg and Market Watch and people have covered this for a long time. There was this idea of the put that that whether it was Greenspan or Bernanke or Yellen or early Powell, that if the markets went down too much, the Fed would come riding to the rescue. Well, that should be dead now in the sense that they've made it very clear they're not going to stop in this situation just because the market's. Where does the balance sheet fit in all this? Well, I'm an outlier among most of the economists attending this conference because I think the balance sheet is largely irrelevant. Um, it, but there are a lot of people both in the central bank community and in markets who think the balance sheet's really important. And you're right to raise it, Greg. These are people talking about quantitative tightening, for example. Um, 
my belief is that you you use the balance, you know, and it's probably because, as Jeff indicated in his kind introduction, I was at the Bank of England during the financial crisis. And the reason you used the balance sheet was you got to zero interest rate by cutting, and it still wasn't enough. So that's why you start using the balance sheet. And you also use the balance sheet because when there's a financial lockup, like there was in 2008, or like there was in March, April 2020, when COVID really hit the U.S., you want to clean up that lockup. You want to make the markets fluid. So that's another time you use the balance sheet. But the idea that the balance sheet, one way or the other, when the markets are well-functioning and when you're trying to tighten policy is very effective, to me is odd. But again, I'm, I'm an outlier. There are a lot of people who spend a lot of time worrying about the balance sheet. I'd just like to remind people in the audience that if they have a question, please submit them now. Greg, any further comments on that? No, I mean, I, I think part of it is maybe for the markets is the last tightening cycle when the Fed wanted to get rates up to 3%. And then there seemed to be like a little bit of a temper tantrum in the markets, not to overuse that phrase, yeah. but the, the Fed did slow down and reverse course. And I was wondering if that's kind of what's in the back of the market's mind. It may be. Um, yeah. It may well be, but I think they should be. Inflation is much higher. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just straightforward. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same world. Yeah. Um, you're you're in a context where inflation is clearly much higher than it should be, and as Powell said, and as you know, every Fed chair has said for since going back to Volcker, you know, that's job one. And so I remember talking with market people of various stripes over the last year or two, and and you know. I, my colleagues and I were a bit ahead of the curve in saying inflation is going to be worse than the Fed forecast. But unlike some of the people who made that call, and I don't mean my colleagues, I was always confident that, you know, if they made a mistake and let inflation get too far, they would not hold back in getting it down. And, and I think that's what we're seeing. Speaking of uh, wishful thinking, out of many economists doubt the Fed can drive inflation back down to 2%, has prevailed before the crisis anytime soon, as the Fed insists it will. Some point out that deflationary forces over the past two decades have faded or in some cases are reversing. Free, free trade, for instance, has given way to more protectionism. You've written a lot about that. What do you make of that argument? Is it, Could the Fed end up getting in a position where it gets stuck at, say, 3% or so? And if that were the case, would it be a bad thing if it was 3% but stable versus 2% and stable? You've put your finger on a lot of critical issues, Jeff, and then <laughs> things that, as you mentioned, I and my colleagues at Pearson Institute worry a lot about. So let me try to unpack it a bit. Um, ultimately, if the central bank is willing to keep, goes back to what one of the previous questions are, whereas if, if the central bank is willing to keep inflation, excuse me, interest rates high enough for long enough, it will get to whatever inflation rate it wants. Um, the question for me going forward, both for policy and for forecasting is, let's say inflation comes down two and a half percent pretty quickly because of these changes in energy prices and other things. You're still well above 2% inflation. The odds are, at least in my forecast, that a, a sustained interest rate around four, 4.25, something like that, will drive you down to close to three by the end of next year. I may be wrong. It may be somewhat different. But so the real question is, you know, how much do you want to grind the economy to get from three to two? 
and how quickly. I mean, you'll get there, but how fast? And if you choose not to grind the economy down, just keep it on a slow downtrend from 3% inflation, does that risk inflation going back up? And on that latter point, my view is by the time we get through the next year and a half, I don't think it's going to be a risk um, that inflation will just pop back up if they're not all the way right down to two. And what I was worried Chair Powell might do today, and I'm glad he didn't, was make some sort of really strong commitment. We have to be at two by this date because I think then they would have overdone it. Um, on the issue of deglobalization and prices, that's a really important issue. And I have been writing about that. Thank you for recalling that. Um, I think we got to separate three issues, and I'll try to be quick. First is that, yes, there are what are called level effects. So suddenly China comes into the world markets in 1989-90 and starts producing lots of stuff by 2000. And that one time drives down the cost of a lot of things. That is different from trend effects, right? That we have an ongoing shortage of something, the economy is running too hot, central bank's not credible. And those things are not yet changing, in my view, because of deglobalization. What is changing, my second point, is the nature of the shocks we're facing. And so we're seeing more of these, what we could call negative supply shocks, like we saw with vaccinations and COVID, like we're seeing now, first with semiconductors and now with energy. And if you have a deglobalized world, you see more things like we've seen the last few days, which is every country decides, okay, I'm out for myself. I'm, the U.S. is going to keep its energy. The, the Europeans and the Americans are going to keep their vaccines. And then you end up with these shortages, these very rapid spikes in, in prices because there isn't global reallocation, there isn't flexible markets, there's disincentives to produce. And so I'm worried that the deglobalization dynamic isn't so much about the, the level of inflation, it's about when we get these shocks, they get worse. The final thing I would just say is this is, I think, the next agenda for central banks. And a couple of people are speaking at the conference uh, Gita Gopanath, the chief economist, oh, excuse me, now the deputy managing director of the IMF, and Shebnam Chimli Ozan, who is um, a professor at the University of Maryland, both are starting to mention these issues. I've been trying to mention these issues that you may need to rethink policy if you're in a world, say, because of climate change, where you get these kinds of difficult shocks. Um, but that's not about higher trend inflation. Sorry to go on so long. That's Rick? good. Let's the, go back uh, to a viewer, Nail, asks, will the Fed be able to slow inflation with Congress and the Biden administration pushing out more economic stimulus on top of what Washington did during the pandemic? He's referring, of course, to the climate, recent climate bill and the student yeah. loan forgiveness. No, I, th I think that's a genuine risk. Um, I mean, part of the reason I and some others we're telling the Fed back in early 2021 that inflation was going to be higher than they thought was because the Biden administration, more importantly, in the sense, the Congress passed the American Rescue Plan, which was this enormous amount of fiscal stimulus in a very short amount of time. And as Jason Furman spoken about on a couple of occasions, you know, 
you may want to put logs in the fire, but you don't want to put them all in the fire at the same time. Um, so fiscal policy does matter. And the most of what's going on in fiscal policy recently, I view as constructive. It's been pretty moderate. It's been long-term. It's been supply-side favorable. The student loan forgiveness stuff, less so. Um, I think the real reasons I object to the student loan forgiveness is it didn't tightly enough tie it to people who were taking less lucrative jobs or did, didn't have money as opposed to people who are earning well and for whom the college loans were a good investment. And I also think, and I know other people, law experts are much more interested than I am. I also think it was a little bad to have the president, you know, throwing around $500 billion without any congressional say. That's, that's a pretty big executive action. But I'm sorry, I'm moving astray from your viewer's question. I think if, if the government does, the Biden administration, the Congress does something irresponsible on fiscal policy, then the Fed has to offset it. And part of the reason we're in the mess we're in is because they didn't offset it a year and a half ago. Greg? Nope. Uh, this is a question that a number of viewers have asked in, in one form or another is, what are rising interest rates in a prolonged period of slow economic growth or even recession likely to do to the stock market? Uh, some Fed critics contend easy money policies have supercharged the stock market over the last decade. I know you're not an expert on what's going on in the markets, but clearly you would think assets are going to take some bit of a hit here. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, ultimately, the the monetary policy of Fed to me is is not a major driver of stock markets, except when financial conditions are very messed up. Um, I think ultimately it's about the growth rate of profits. And the growth rate of profits is generally correlated with the growth rate of the economy. Um, the caveat to that or the, the possible way you can have profits rising without a growing economy is you either have more oligopoly monopoly, meaning you, you start having more concentrated industries so they can jack up prices and not um, and make more profits without gaining market share. I mean, without growing, um, getting market share, or the labor gets squeezed and just gets a smaller and smaller share. Looks like we may have to cut this a bit short because we lost our feed from Jackson Hole. They're supposed to have a good Wi-Fi connection out there, but uh, the great outdoors. Please join us again on Monday. Barron Senior Manager Editor Laura R. Rubin and Deputy Editor Ben Levinson We'll discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. In addition, please join Marco Watch for the Best New Ideas and Money Festival on September 21 and 22 in New York City. Please see the slide chat box for the details. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful weekend. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.